The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to In Veritate on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Matthew Arthur, I am your host, and on this episode I am presenting sermons by Bishop Donald Sanborn. We are pleased to present In Veritate free of charge to our listeners by the gracious sponsorship of Most Holy Trinity Seminary. And now, on the subject of the family, we present In Veritate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Today is the Feast of the Holy Family as I said, and it is a customary day in which, on which to review the church's teaching concerning the family. It was instituted by Pope Benedict XV for that reason. In the Holy Family, we see certain characteristics which make it, in one sense, a very normal Catholic family and, in another sense, a very special family. But those things which we notice about it are things which we can learn for our own families. And, indeed, one of the reasons for our Lord's coming into this world as a child and being in to preach to us can run our own families. For the family is the true Catholic school. More than any other institution, the family is where children learn how to be Catholics. The first characteristic that we notice in the Holy Family is its unity. The Holy Family is united by the sacred bond of marriage. This bond is indissoluble. And the church has taught this from its very beginning and continues to teach it. And it is the only religion on the face of the earth which maintains that marriage is indissoluble. That is, that once you enter into the marriage bond, it cannot be broken except by death. Divorce, therefore, is a mortal sin. The only time that it is permitted to go through a civil divorce is if for a serious reason you must dissolve a civil bond between you and, and, and your spouse because of a necessity to separate. But before the council, it was necessary to obtain the permission of the bishop of the diocese even to initiate a civil divorce. It was also necessary 
to obtain the permission of the bishop of the diocese for two spouses to separate without any consideration of divorce. And without these permissions, it was a mortal sin even to go through those. But, but whether there was separation or whether a civil divorce was permitted, there was no idea or question or talk of a remarriage. Thereafter, you would have to live your life alone because the marriage bond before God continued to exist. So the idea of divorce with, with, the, with the idea of remarriage is a mortal sin. And similarly, the annulments that are given today by the Novus Ordo for false and spurious reasons are mortal sins. This is divorce under the cloak of religion. And before God, these things are null. And they are blasphemous because they are under the cloak of religion. And it is a mortal sin to observe them, either to observe them for yourselves or to observe them in others. And as I said, it is a mortal sin even to separate without a sufficient reason, a reason that is approved by the church. The second characteristic of the Holy Family that we notice and which must apply to our own families is that of chastity. The Holy Family lived in perfect chastity. And while this perfect chastity is not required of us, nevertheless, there is in the married state a chastity, a purity. The married state is not a place where immorality is approved of. But there is a morality, a chastity, a purity which pertains to that state. Thus, to practice artificial birth control is a mortal sin. Let that be said. In this world which drowns itself in artificial birth control. To not follow the laws of nature in marriage is a mortal sin. To procure an abortion is a mortal sin. Even to counsel or aid someone to procure an abortion is a mortal sin and brings down upon the one who procures it and the one who counsels or aids an automatic excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church. To watch seriously impure television or movies is a mortal sin. To permit your children or your wife to dress in a seriously impure manner is a mortal sin. Adultery is a mortal sin. The third characteristic of the Holy Family that we notice, if we contemplate it, is obedience. St. Joseph was the head of the house, and Our Lady and the Christ child were obedient to him. Such was the will of God, that just as it was the will of God that, the, that his only begotten son should be born in a stable and be a little baby, so it was the will of God that the, that the second person of the Blessed Trinity made man should be subject to St. Joseph and to Our Lady, and that Our Lady, although superior to St. Joseph by dignity and sanctity, should be subject to him. 
And this obedience based on the law of God was one of the sources of its order, its peace and tranquility, its beauty. For the obedience of the Holy Family was an image of the obedience of the universe to God, including the universe of the angels, the saints and human beings and everything else that God has created. Thus, for a wife to have contempt for her husband's authority is a mortal sin. Let wives be subject to their husbands, as St. Paul says. For a wife to disobey or to be disrespectful to her husband in a serious way is a mortal sin. She must have a deference to the authority of her husband. He is the superior, she the inferior in that relationship of husband to wife. And she owes obedience and respect to her husband. Let that be said in this world that bathes every day in the wickedness of women's liberation. For children to have contempt for their parents' authority is a mortal sin. For children to seriously disobey or to be seriously disrespectful to their parents is a mortal sin. For parents to fail to properly discipline their children is a mortal sin. And I say that in a general way. That is, not every single negligence is a mortal sin, but if in general... A parent fails to properly discipline his child. He commits a mortal sin. For thereby he teaches them disobedience, rebellion. Another characteristic of the Holy Family that we must notice is their piety. It was a house of piety. If we think about these three great personages St. Joseph, our Blessed Lady, and the Christ Child, we know that their minds were constantly on the things of God. And it was the will of God that the Christ Child, in his sacred human nature, should learn from the Blessed Virgin Mary how to pray, should learn his piety, his virtues as a man from her, should learn his chastity from her, at her knee. That was the will of God. And therefore we learn from the piety of the Holy Family that to neglect the spiritual upbringing of your children is a mortal sin. To fail to teach your children their catechism is a mortal sin. To fail to bring your children to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation is a mortal sin. To fail to teach them to pray is a mortal sin. And then the other aspect of the Holy Family that we notice is their poverty. That it was the will of God that he who owns all things, who made all things should live in abject poverty. 
together with the most favored and most beloved of heaven, that is, the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph, that they should have a life of hardship and poverty. That was the will of God. And this is striking to us. Now, God does not require us to live in real and true poverty, as he required his only begotten son and Our Lady and St. Joseph. But he does require us to have the spirit of poverty. That is to be detached from the things of this world in such a way that we would be ready to give any one of them up in order to obey the law of God. That is the spirit of poverty. And unless we have the spirit of poverty, we cannot hope to go to heaven. If we are attached to the things of this world in such a way that we prefer them to God and we disobey the law of God in order to obtain them or keep them, then we shall go to hell. So it is a mortal sin to lack the spirit of poverty. We should deplore the modern attachment to materialism. People are blinded to the things of God. They are blinded even to natural truths. Because they have constantly before their eyes and in their bellies material things. And the only thing that they hold out to their children is a love of material things and the attainment of money and pleasures and power and riches. Women should stay at home and take care of their children. They should not aspire to go out and make a second income so that you can live in a bigger and better house in a better neighborhood. Nor should they aspire to do the same thing because of personal self-fulfillment. Their duty is to their children and to their husband in the home. Even if there should be no children, their duty is to their husband as well. And, and they should not think that in some way they are not obliged to make a home for their husband. They must. For a woman to drop off her children at a daycare center simply for the purpose of extra money or personal fulfillment is a mortal sin. She is relinquishing her solemn duty to imitate the mother of God in teaching her children their piety, their goodness, their obedience. For her home is the first and principal Catholic school. And her children will be the worse for it that they have been raised by strangers who are filled with the spirit of liberalism and paganism and impurity. Filled with it. Imagine Our Lady dropping off the little Christ child, maybe three or four years old, at a daycare center in order that she go out and make a second income for luxuries so that they could live in a nicer neighborhood in Nazareth. 
or so that she could find self-fulfillment. Imagine this. Yet, nearly all the mortal sins which I have enumerated here as sins against the family, ultimately against God, but sins of the family, we might say. All of these normal mortal sins constitute the norm of the average modern family. The typical modern family today is one in which parents and children are filled with the principles of liberalism. In which the wife has contempt for her husband's authority because she is imbued with the wickedness of women's liberation. And in which the children have contempt for their parents' authority. It is a family in which the daily entertainment is dirty television, dirty movies, and rock music. A family in which the parents are using some form of birth control and have been throughout all of their married life. In which the teenage children are leading lives of wanton and profligate impurity. And who, without hesitation, go and procure abortions with the encouragement of their parents, lest there should be embarrassment and the encumbrance, the economic encumbrance of a child. Family, a family in which divorce and remarriage is seen as a viable option. And a family which, in many, if not most cases, divorce and remarriage has already taken place. A family in which the mothers are out working in order to bring in a second income for luxury's sake or for self-fulfillment, to have a career. A family in which debt and overspending is the norm, where there is virtually nothing in the bank. A family in which there is little or no care of religion of any kind. And in which there is often a contempt for things religious. It is a family in which the parents fail to discipline their children so that at an early age, the children are already brash and obnoxious brats who cannot be controlled and who answer back their parents with a blood-curdling spirit of contempt. We hear this in supermarkets and in public places. And the parents just look at them and shake their heads or do some other foolish and stupid thing. A family in which the children are sent off to public schools and to colleges and universities where they learn to be know-it-all pagans and with the 
sexual habits of dogs. And despite this, despite the fact that they come home as know-it-all pagans and with the sexual habits of dogs, the parents brag about them. My son is a lawyer. He makes $250,000 a year. Even though that materialism and that worldly honor was bought with the price of his soul, encouraged by the parents, the Catholic brag would be, my son is spiritually dead and the, the money that he is making is a heavy stone around his neck which is dragging him to hell. That's the Catholic brag. And it is a family, the modern family, in which both the mother and the father may be involved in an adulterous relationship on the side. This is the typical modern family without exaggeration, and in some cases it's worse. Proof of it is the fact that the family that lives in the White House and which was elected by the American people conforms to this very image that I have just put forth to you, with the one exception that they are not divorced and remarried. But adultery and everything else goes with it. It is an image of our society. It is deplorable. And if our society has all of the historical marks of decay, decline, and decadence that every empire and every other great nation has gone through in the history of the world, it is because of the breakdown of the family. The state of Hawaii this week legalized marriages between persons of the same sex. It is the beginning of the end. Now all of the states will have to in some way react to that. And do you think there will be the moral strength to say no to that? When all public morality and public decency has been abandoned in every other category? No. Soon it will be part of our lives. By the grace of God, we must resist being like such a family. No matter how great the pressure of conformity, the pressure of human respect, the pressure of materialism, the pressure of impurity, we must resist being like such a family. And we must imitate the holy family, the unity, the chastity, the obedience, the piety, and the spirit of poverty of the Holy Family. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you are enjoying this episode. We would like to remind you that you are listening to In Veritate on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, presenting sermons by Bishop Sanborn on The Family. 
And now for the continuation of In Veritate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Today I would like to extend and explain the sermon which I gave last week. And two, on two topics in particular. The first is concerning the subjection of wives to their husbands. The doctrine that wives must be subject to their husbands is very unpopular today because of the general infection of women's liberation. Women's liberation came to us originally from the French Revolution and it was picked up and promoted by the communists in the 19th and the 20th centuries. It is essentially from hell. And it is contrary to the teaching of the Catholic Church and also, of course, to the teaching of sacred scripture. However, a woman's obligation to be subject to her husband does not require her first to obey him in matters which are contrary to faith or morals. Obviously, there is no authority on earth that could possibly oblige us to obey something which is contrary to faith or morals. For we must obey God first. And so no obedience is even due to a command which is not of God. Second, she would not be required to obey him in commands which either exceed his authority or which are manifestly contrary to reason. An example of the first case of a command which would exceed the authority of a husband would be the case of a husband commanding a wife to contribute to the general household money which she made on the side by sewing. A a wife is not obliged to make money that she makes on the side by her own private job. She's not obliged to contribute that to the general household. She may if she wants, but she's not obliged to. And so a husband could not, therefore, oblige her to by a command that would exceed his authority. However, he could command her not to work on the side. That he could do. Uh, An example of the second case of something manifestly contrary to reason. A husband could not rightfully or validly command his wife to wear a paper bag over her head. This would be obviously against her dignity as wife and mother and is manifestly contrary to reason. Attention must also be paid to those situations in which the husband has abandoned or virtually abandoned the management of the home and where the wife and mother must become the acting head of the house. This is the case of husbands who are drunkards or who have perhaps gone insane and do not realize it, or who simply have no care 
for the duties that they have as husbands. Many times there are men who go out every morning and make money and bring it home and give it to their wives to run the household with, but have no care of the government of the home, raising the children, making the decisions of the home, both spiritual decisions for the discipline of the children and the material and temporal decisions for the house. And they busy themselves with a perpetual worship of TV, usually football games. They they sit in front of that and drink beer, and they simply have no care of the government of the household. In that case, the wife and the mother must become the acting head of the house, and she must make decisions which ordinarily she would not make. See, these are all explanations and footnotes of the general principle that wives must be subject to their husbands. Now, based on this, wives should not say to their husbands, well, you know, actually you're insane, but you don't realize it. I could see a lot of wives saying that. I said that to two husbands after the last mass, and they said, my wife has been telling me that for years. But, no, there are cases where a man may have lost his mind and cannot govern or or gives commands which are not able to be fulfilled. And in that case, the wife would have to be the head of the house. What is to be deplored, however, is the modern attitude that husband and wife are equals. They are not equals. The only way in which man and woman are equals are in as much as they both have the same human nature. But they are not equals in the roles that are assigned to them by God, the creator. Now, the next explanation I would like to give is concerning public schools, colleges and universities. The rules concerning these matters are the general rules concerning occasions of sin. The first rule concerning occasions of sin is this, that it is a mortal sin to place yourself, or worse, your child, in a voluntary and proximate occasion of mortal sin. For example, for if you or if you took your child, your family, to a dirty movie. That's a mortal sin. Even if you don't consent to pleasure from what you see, you commit a mortal sin by voluntarily putting yourself in a proximate occasion of mortal sin. Now, an occasion of mortal sin is considered a proximate occasion if we are likely to consent to mortal sin by frequenting that occasion. On the other hand, an occasion of mortal sin is remote if we are not likely to consent to mortal sin by frequenting that occasion. And, very important principle, what is proximate for one person may be remote for another. Take this example. Let's say a a man is giving a, a very bad lecture promoting abortion. A priest could go to that lecture and not be in the slightest way moved by what the man says. In that case, it's not even a remote occasion of sin for him. 
but a an impressionable young person of, say, 17 who does not have the faith or who is weak in his or her faith could very well be misled by such a man. And that would be a proximate occasion of mortal sin, which would be uh, the loss of faith, which is worse even than impurity. The second rule is that if a proximate occasion of sin is necessary and unavoidable, we must take the means to make it remote. Take this example. You're on a plane, on a long flight, and they show a movie, and the movie's dirty. And this is a real problem, a very real problem that, that comes up a lot. You might be five feet in front of the screen, and there's things on the screen that are abominable. But that's the only way to get where you're going. And you're sitting there, you can't move your seat, you're locked in, the plane is full. You cannot avoid seeing that. There you have a proximate occasion, but one that is necessary and unavoidable. What do you do? You make it remote. You must look away. You must say prayers if necessary. Read a book, whatever you must do in order to remove that temptation from yourself. But if you cannot make that occasion remote, then you are obliged to avoid it at all costs, even to the point of losing your livelihood or even your life. For example, if a man had a job in which he had to travel a lot in planes where he saw those bad movies and he was consenting to mortal sin time and time again because he could not make that a remote occasion, then he must quit his job, even if it means to him reduction to poverty for the rest of his life. Whatever the consequences may be, he must quit his job because it is more important that he go to heaven and that he stay in the state of sanctifying grace than that he have money. That is the rule. Now, public schools, colleges and universities, as a general rule, are proximate occasions of mortal sin. Public schools on the primary and secondary levels expose children to loss of faith and morals. They are direct scandal. They indoctrinate. They teach sex education, secular humanism, evolution, values clarifications, which is another word for immorality. They teach the kids that it's all right to have alternate lifestyles, as they call them, which used to be called sodomy. Furthermore, the godlessness and the immorality of the other students constitutes a proximate occasion of mortal sin. The other students are listening to rock music. They are they idolize diabolical rock heroes and stars. They are talking about dirty movies. They use dirty language. Their own lifestyles are putrefied from the moral point of view. 
And there is a proximate occasion of mortal sin there for a child. Colleges and universities provide the same occasions. Life in dormitories is indescribably immoral. The attitudes of the students are liberal and godless. The professors are equally liberal and godless. And the normal product of these institutions is a liberal and godless young man or young lady. Now, sometimes these occasions can be made remote, but only under very special circumstances. With regard to grammar school and high school, I don't see any circumstance whereby those occasions may be made remote because a child is so impressionable and the indoctrination is so intense. I just cannot conceive of one today where it would be legitimate to send your child to a public school. Sometimes, however, there are circumstances on the level of higher education whereby it is, it, the occasion of sin becomes remote. Uh, if, for example, the child is very well-founded in the faith, is very strong in the faith, is very pious, is not living in a dormitory, that is an absolute condition, but is going back and forth from home, and where they are f taking courses which, in which there is usually not an attack on the faith, such as engineering courses, math, most sciences, and so forth. However, if they're taking... Uh, what is known as liberal arts courses, history, English, and the like, those are the places where usually there is a bombardment of the Catholic faith day in and day out. So every case is different, and every case must be examined on its own merits, but there are occasions when people can do that. But what is to be deplored is the worldliness of Catholics who send their children to these institutions without any care of the dangers that they propose to faith and morals. The Jews in the Old Testament were punished very severely by God by the very destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and the removal of the Jews into Babylon for 70 years. They were destroyed in that way. For the fact that, among others, that they gave their children over to sacrifice to the idol Moloch. And parents who send their children to these schools are doing the same thing. They're sacrificing their children, that is the faith and the morals of their children, to the idol of human respect, career and money. Worse is the attitude of Catholics who are aware of the dangers to faith and morals, but who send their children anyway, either because they are too inconvenienced to send them to a Catholic school like the one that we run here, or too inconvenienced to homeschool them, or in the case of higher education, 
the parents consider their children's careers as more important than their faith. Unless these parents repent, those parents are going straight to hell when they die and their children with them. For our Lord said, but he that shall scandalize one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone should be hanged about his neck and that he should be drowned in the depth of the sea. Words of God. For parents who expose their children to the evils of the public school and of colleges and universities in which their faith and morals will be corrupted. Our faith is a faith of martyrs. The Catholic faith is the one true religion of the one true God. And its strength rests on the deep adherence by faith on the part of Catholics to its sacred truths. The martyrs gave up their lives for these truths. They were eaten by animals for these truths. Because man's possession of God is more important than his possession of this world. This is the spirit of Catholicism. Shame and condemnation and damnation to those parents who send their children to the guillotine of the possession of this world at the expense of their possession of God. But praise, reward, victory, and eternal salvation to those parents who refuse to sacrifice their children to the Moloch of riches and human respect but who sacrifice their own time, their own efforts and money to give their children what we have provided for them here in a Catholic school or through a Catholic education in homeschooling, which requires in many cases more sacrifice, more effort and time on the part of the parents. Praise to them, praise, reward, victory and eternal salvation to them who have preserved their children from the corrosive influences of modern education. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for joining us on In Veritate. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that In Veritate is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. 
All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For The Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.